Let's talk about driving and cannabis. Um, so most states you are not eligible to drive a vehicle if you have any THC, is it or CBD in the system or is it a fact that CBD often contains say one to two percent of THC and they're picking up THC in the oral swab? If you're using a CBD only product and there's absolutely no THC, like then as it, in as in zero or are we talking less than one percent? Would have to be zero zero? If we want to say with absolute certainty, then we'd have to say zero zero. And the only product that's going to provide that is an isolate. And even some of those might have trace amounts of THC in there. But it, CBD by itself is completely legal to drive on. It has there's no evidence anywhere um, that it, that there's any level of intoxication or impairment when when using CBD only. And it's not being tested for at the roadside swab tests. The compound that they're looking for uh, is is THC. And THC can obviously be impairing. It does have intoxicating properties. But from a medical perspective, THC doesn't need to provide any level of intoxication or impairment for it to have therapeutic benefit. We're using much different sort of dosing schedules and people are using the medicine regularly. So any slight side effects that they may experience, they will often develop tolerance to those um, quite, quite rapidly. So... When... So, so what do you mean by that, Jim? If Does that mean that when I first start vaping cannabis, if I'm cannabis naive, I may get a slight high, in inverted commas, but after taking it regularly for a period of time, the high associated with smoking the same amount of cannabis will diminish over time as my body gets yeah. used to, 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 to that medication? Yeah, 100%. With, with cannabis your body will develop tolerance to side effects much faster than it will develop tolerance to the therapeutic or medical benefits of, of cannabis. And the body senses intoxication as a side effect. So even though it's a desirable side effect for some, for some people, your body will recognize that as a side effect. And over time, you will feel less intoxicated at the same dose if that's a problem that you're experiencing. Um, when, when using your cannabis regularly. So they've done, this is the issue with testing for level of THC in, in one system and why THC doesn't fit neatly into um, roadside testing like alcohol because someone can have a, a large amount of THC in their blood and be non-impaired by it because they're a, a regular user of cannabis and they've developed tolerance to those effects versus someone who is completely cannabis naive, who has one puff of a joint, who has negligible amounts of THC in their system, but will be significantly impaired by that small amount of THC. So it's just a, some sort of binary oral test done on the roadside where it's looking at yeah. is it parts per million. Do you know how they actually work out? How do they test it in the saliva? Yeah, they it's all about recent contact with the mouth. So it is directly from the saliva. And so it's not that the THC... Or, is in the in the in the circulation and then it comes out in the saliva it's about recent contact so it's about thc that's been trapped when someone has orally ingested their medication or whether they've inhaled it and it's coated coated their mouth i'm not sure exactly what the level is or or, or the measurements that they're using but there is there is a cutoff with it um and it varies de depending on what sort of swab test is is used but really once it tests positive it's just testing for detection and it doesn't give uh, any further quantification on how much THC is present 
in, in the mouth. So would a would a an oil or a uh, decarboxylated dried flour capsule, which is effectively bypassing the mucosa in the mouth, mm. is that going to assist someone avoid detection? If if your aim was to avoid detection, um, then then yes, having a product that never touches the mouth means that it won't register on an oral swab test. But that um, obviously doesn't help you if you were to get in an accident and you were to have your blood test taken, you're still going to fall foul. Yeah, of laws that, and and um, insurances and the like. That's right. That's right. And I guess one of the biggest things with the, the oral swab tests as well that's often not spoken about is there's, there's a huge amount of false positives as well with, with those. So if someone is wrongfully told that they've got a positive oral swab test and they've taken all the precautions and they've left it a couple of days and they get a false positive test, they can then they'll then have a blood test or a urine test where the metabolites of, of THC stay in the system for a lot longer and they could then be told that that is an indication of recent use. And so right. so, hey, test- so you're saying you could you could vaporize cannabis in the evening. Mm-hmm. Get pulled over first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. have a negative test, then but then go and have to do a urine or a blood test, and it could be picking up whatever you've done in the last month because that's how long is that? How long is it sticking around in your in your bloodstream or your urine for? Asking some curly curly questions, here, Sam. <laughs> but in, in regards to the blood and serum plasma, it, it depends on you know once again how how much and how often you're using. And if you're using cannabis regularly, it'll it'll you know be in your circulation for at least least two or three weeks and then with the urine side of things as as well that's going to be even longer because with thc you you know how we spoke previously about it getting converted into its active form 11 hydroxy thc after you orally ingest it after that process it becomes 7 hydroxy thc which is an inactive metabolite and because it's inactive and inert and doesn't do anything your body has no desire to clear it quickly and it's also the cannabinoids are, are very lipophilic, and so they are stored in your fat fat cells, and they you know are excreted you know very very slowly. So the testing you know for it, blood blood testing urine testing has no correlation at all with recent use or intoxication. The closest thing we have to recent use is the oral swab test, but there's you know issues around those as well, especially throwing off a lot of false positives, and none of them correlate to impairment or intoxication. So putting aside your uh, possible conflict of interest given that you own a medicinal cannabis company, as a doctor and as a parent on the road, um, you know what's your view on driving laws? in Australia and if you were to recommend a change to driving laws, what do you think would be a sensible middle ground? Yeah. Look, I obviously don't think that anyone should be driving impaired or intoxicated, um, but saying that I don't believe that appropriate use of medical cannabis leads to impairment or intoxication. I do believe that poorly controlled symptoms um, like treatment resistant insomnia, severe pain, you know, anxiety symptoms, PTSD, which cannabis is often treating, they can be significantly impairing and lead to fatal car accidents. And if we can treat them appropriately and have a net benefit in someone's um, awareness and driving skills and, and, and um, reflex time, then I think, you know, we have to use whatever treatments are best suited to that. Um, 
And what what so last question on this driving topic? What medications would there be being prescribed that may be intoxicating but aren't getting picked up in roadside tests? And and are of these medications, are there some of them that could be replaced by cannabis? Every other prescription medicine that is potentially impairing has a medical exemption for it once it's been prescribed by your healthcare practitioner. Cannabis is the only prescription medicine that does have that potential for impairment that is discriminated against and treated uh, with with the same with the same sort of laws. So it's completely uh, it's it's completely outside of the norm for our prescription medicines, which seems uh, which. Which seems like it's just got a. It's related to stigma and bias, rather. But if than if any. you were prescribing Valium to a patient, yeah. are you required as a practitioner to advise them that they should not drive on that medication? Yes, you should advise them if that that it can cause impairment, and that if they're feeling impaired, that they shouldn't drive. But if they legally, were, they are allowed. They are allowed to if they have a valid prescription. That's right. Well, look, legally, no one's allowed to drive if they're impaired, and that is, you know, to everyone taking their own responsibility if they haven't slept or they're tired, you know, and you're detected to be, you know, have driver tiredness, then, and you haven't taken appropriate measures, then that's illegal. But yes, they can take impairing substances legally and not be discriminated against. And the thing with cannabis compared to some other potentially intoxicating or impairing substances is that when people are impaired, they are very aware of it. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of insight into that impairment, and it's often over exaggerated in that person's mind in regards to how impaired they are. So, cannabis used recreationally, where the purpose is intoxication, can definitely lead to increase in road traffic accidents. But of those accidents, they are often of much lower speed. Than they would be if someone was, you know, using using alcohol where they thought that they were Michael Schumacher and the best driver in the world, but they and they had no insight into how affected their reaction time was or their coordination was. So generally, people will know it, and if they're given appropriate, you know, explanation that this could be impairing, they're going to feel it and they're going to choose choose not to drive because it's an anxiety provoking situation for them, and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to go through it, you know, unnecessarily.